been getting off to a I don't um, know what kind of day this is. I this is a day that ends in Y. <laughs> like a slow day or rough day? I, this is a day. You've been slept. <laughs> I know shit. Um, Are you kidding me? I cleaned my whole house this morning. I, I was you like know I in really, it to win it. <laughs> I really appreciated lunch. Kat made um jalapeno burgers and they were delicious. Did you sorry I'm so sorry guys I'm okay. far enough away from the microwave. <laughs> oh my god, I need help today. This is a great sign for how this is gonna go. Well, y'all, y'all are listening to. Oh god, difficult damsel. Hi, I'm Kat. I'm Rachel. <laughs> um, this is the podcast where we tell you stories about badass women from history <laughs> and giggle the whole time. Apparently, pretty much. <laughs> oh man, I'm broken this week. It's okay. You're allowed to be broken. Yeah. Great. <laughs> this is our therapy treehouse session. It is. So it is. If you need to be broken and just that seems like a weird ad to do right now. <laughs> if you just... need to be broken, <laughs> it's okay. To the be... dominatrix cat will help you. <laughs> do you know everyone in high school thought I was a dominatrix? I can see that. I know. Me too. <laughs> but you're also like more reserved than people would give you credit for. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That'll go in really well with our question if they had said so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Is it, though? Because now everyone's like, what's the question? <laughs> They'll probably forget. It's fine. Yeah, I always I've forget. I've already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. Well, I wanted to start this episode off because I have a little correction corner for myself. Oh, no. Nobody brought it to my attention. I just okay. noticed it when I was listening to the last episode. <laughs> what do we do? It wasn't what you did. It was what I did. Oh, what do you do? So I, I was trying to make it about both of us, but that's fine. You, oh, you take was, it. This is very much a me thing. Um, so I had said that Eats Papalo was a Mesopotamian goddess, and I meant to say Mesoamerican. Those are Close. No, they're on. That's two different continents. You got the M. I, I, I got the Meso part. Yeah. I like. I had typed it when. You I don't was... know what's really funny is when I was looking up the pictures. Yeah. That I didn't post. Um, <laughs> I was like, Central America. I was like, okay. Yes, Central America is accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Mesoamerican. You so. should have seen me try and type in, that in. I was like, eats papo. What? Eats papo. Yeah, so I just typed like in, I just typed in obsidian butterfly and then there you go. did it that way. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's how I Because I remember the awesome wings. <laughs> the bat wings. The super cool with like claws at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so that was our (laughs) that was our um our last episode on goddesses. That was a fun episode. I really liked. I liked that episode episode too. I was nervous the whole time, but I liked it. Very long. I didn't sound stupid. (laughs) We definitely got to trim those. uh, Not go with as many as we did that. No way. That that was fun. No, I thought it was a perfect amount. It was a long episode, but that was was because we were we were being special. (laughs) I mean, if if. The listener enjoyed it. Cool. But yeah, yeah, I thought it was long. If you guys didn't, we don't actually care. I care. Okay, Rachel cares. (laughs) That's usual. That's usual. That is usually how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, she'll care. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry. How's uh, 
Oh, I was just going to hop into it. Are you going to ask me how life is? No, I don't want to know how your life is anymore. Wow, rude. (laughs) We already talked about it. You just shut me down. (laughs) Off mic. We can talk about life, I guess. Oh, I mean, you don't have to. It's been fine. (laughs) Wow. Okay, let's not talk about life. (laughs) No, it was just... Um. um, Last week was rough. Um, this week was a lot better. I got like an actual adult bed finally. Yay! Um, first time in 35 years I've had like a legitimate, oh, like good adult bed. I've always gotten like secondhand hand me downs, um, which were great at the time. Because I was gonna say those are never bad because those are free. Not bad. Just yeah, it was wasn't free, but it was very cheap, and it, it I needed it quick. Um, yeah, you you said uh, you said you made the comment about you like. Because I asked you if you've noticed your sleeping patterns are any different. Like, yeah. Well, my back, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised you function on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> I barely yeah. function and I have like a ridiculous bed. I'm just like, oh, when I wake I, up in the morning. If it weren't for yoga and meditation, I wouldn't function, honestly. Yeah. So now I have an actual <laughs> good bed. I just have to get used to it because um, before. Because now it's good. Because before I, I bought the bed and I bought the mattress, but I didn't by the box spring. <laughs> Honestly, that's been not, that way for about a year. That's not even a surprise. Like I know. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> I never learned how to properly adult, so when I yeah. do adult things, I often mess it up. Oh no. <laughs> but it's I mean, okay. <laughs> I, you learn. I still mess up adult things. I call my yeah. mom like, am I doing this right? She goes, probably not. I just great. I'm not able to do that. So you can she... call my mom. It's totally fine. She would love it if you called her, even though she forgot your name earlier today. <laughs> we, who, who's there? What's her name? And I was like, yeah, mom, like, she can wow, hear you. I'm your sister wife wow, podcasting. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about I was like, did you just wait? Yeah. <laughs> mom, that is your daughter-in-law. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's been good. It's just been, just been busy. Just yeah. uh, doing that. Finding that balance between work, podcast, yeah. social life—it's hard. I've taking given care up of on my social life. I don't even. Yeah. Care. Every once in a while, I'll go out and do things with you, and then you'll invite other people. Hey, I'm like, going, oh, other people exist. We're going to see Dune today. I'm so, so excited. I'm excited too. I've been waiting for that movie for like two years. years. Two years. years too. Yeah, because it was like right before COVID when we first heard about it, right? Or was it last year? I think it was last year. Okay, it's still been a year. It's still been too yeah. long. Yeah. Way too long. Yeah. How's life for you? That's <clears throat> great. I just uh, was able to finally um, breathe. Yeah, after like a few weeks of not really knowing how to breathe, right? So. Oh. I've just been like. Yeah. Crazy busy at work and crazy busy busy with extra stuff. I'm the person who likes to volunteer for things, and then the things I volunteer for become clusterfucks of situations. So. Yeah, it's part of so, life. So yeah. <laughs> It's been fun, but I'm learning and I'm loving my new job and just kind of taking You're it. learning and living and loving. Okay, I wasn't going to go that far, but it's fine. Well, that's well, cool. Yeah. So, wearing my Virgo necklace, the constellation. That's beautiful. With my I other. Say so myself. My crescent moon. And this is cool because it's a little diffuser. Um, Ooh. The listener can't hear it, but it's a crescent moon. It's silver with like a little diffuser ball in the center, so I get to put like essential oils in there. Hell yeah. Yeah. I like it's it. Pretty cool. Wait, how do they not spill off? It, it just absorbs it. Oh. Want smell it? I'm not smelling. You have to get very close I'm not getting that close to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sniff your neck after you sniffed my wrist. So. Are you sure? Did we tell that story? 
We told that story. Okay, good. <laughs> I think we've told it a couple times. That's fine. It needs to be told many times. <laughs> it's that uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I guess we'll dig into it now that we know that we're not dying and life is great. I mean, I mean, technically we're dying every day, but I'm not wrong. But some people don't want to know about that. <laughs> well, we are on episode twenty-four, and episode twenty-four is Olga of Kiev. Before you get into that, I'm going to steal your thunder. We are almost up on a year. I know of being in this podcast. It's November, yeah, that's our anniversary. My friend already pointed it out to me. He's like, "Your anniversary." Excuse me, coming. friend. Don't steal my fucking thunder. <laughs> yeah, Jersey. Excuse me. Did you say Jizzy? <laughs> Oh my god! So he's one of our like biggest fans, and he's oh gonna hear god. that. <laughs> no, I'm gonna call. I him. am so sorry. It's Drizzy. Yeah, no, you need to enunciate <laughs> when you say that, girl. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Oh um, wow, yeah. that I'm uncomfortable. I need a minute. <laughs> but yeah, we're up on a year. And yeah, that's exciting. So. Yeah, very soon. So that's cool. This little dream turned into like a thing. So yeah, it's actually fun. Like you do most of the work. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always great for me. <laughs> I mean, you just have to give me ample warning when you want me to work on someone because it'll take me, you know, months. Yeah, I mean, honestly, most of the time it's fine. And then I run into some weeks where I just like. Everything's kind of all at once. And... Yeah. Because yeah. usually I just, I go hang out in a coffee shop on like this off Saturdays. So I just spend two to three hours there and I'm yeah. able to get most of the work done. It's just, oh, yeah. yeah, it's just been, it's been a rough couple weeks yeah. um for a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> a rough life mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but yeah. um all right so a little bit of about Olga before we actually get into her i'm so excited for this because i like know her name and that's like it yeah. i know something about her. oh and i i need to give a shout out to our friend andrew because this is actually like andrew 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 andrew, Hi, andrew, andrew. he um <laughs> when we'd just been bouncing around the idea of doing a podcast about women from history. This was the first person he was like, check her out. You will really like her and it might work for your podcast. So thank you, Andrew. We Thanks, finally Andrew. got around to it. Blame Rachel, not me. <laughs> so if ever there was a woman in history you did not want to mess with, it was Olga of Kiev. So I'm already friends with her. <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna you're gonna love her. She's I feel like she's gonna be one of your favorites, yes. honestly. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> so venerated in the Russian Orthodox Church as a saint and a woman responsible for bringing Christianity to Russia, Olga also has a much darker history than most people are aware of. Prior to converting, Olga's husband had been murdered by a neighboring tribe. Her husband's death left Olga and their three-year-old son in a vulnerable position, but Olga of Kiev was not to be trifled with. Following the death of her husband, she went on one of the wildest tours of vengeance you will ever hear about, making her the most badass Russian Viking princess you've never even heard of. You literally just said Until like now. all the things that made me love her now. <laughs> I, I honestly, Russian Viking princess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, that's so exciting. <laughs> okay, so historical context time. Um, so her story takes place in the um, first half of the 10th century, so the like early 900s. Mm-hmm. So, year 911, the Viking Rollo is granted the county of Rouen by France, and he founds Normandy. Is that Rollo Rollo? Rollo Rollo. Yeah, why am I saying names twice? I'm like, why the fuck is that a thing? Yes, it is that Rollo. <laughs> yes! Um, from Vikings. <laughs> oh, yeah, guys, sorry. <laughs> Don't you know you should be up to speed on all of our conversations? <laughs> 
In the year 919, the first use of gunpowder in battle occurs during the Chinese Battle of Langshan Jiang. Flamethrowers were used to ignite the gunpowder fuses in a naval battle between the Wu Ye and Wu clans, and the Wu clan ends up losing that battle. In the year 927, the Kingdom of England becomes a unified state under King Athelstan. Athelstan! In 936, Gorm the Old becomes the first king of Denmark, and was, he establishes the Danish monarchy. Was he born Gorm the Old, or did they like give him that after death? I'm sure they gave it to him. Is it like a weird Benjamin after Button death. thing where they're like, what the shit? He's probably just like a really old dude. That's <laughs> if you're not, if you're gonna give him a shitty moniker, just don't give him a moniker. Like, don't do it. <laughs> maybe maybe he's like Gorm the Wise or something, but they. I don't know. Anyway, he's the, he establishes the Danish monarchy. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then some general history facts from this time period. So the Byzantine Empire reaches the height of its military and economic strength in this century. Is it Byzantine or Byzantine? It's probably both. I don't cool. care. Okay. I'm sorry. Tomato, tomato. It's fine. I'm going to call it Byzantine. That's fine. I'm not Byzantine. Byzantine. <laughs> you know what? Before you go on, I don't remember who said it wrong, but I think I might have said Salwin wrong. And I apologize profusely. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I for sure said it wrong because I can never say it. It's Samhain. It depends on what region you're from. I'm going to call it because that's how it's spelled. Don't spell it Samhain. Don't say it Samhain. <laughs> that pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> I, I can't pronounce things. I'm sorry. Just don't look at it when you, when you say <laughs> Listen, it. Listen, also in this time period. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so hops is mentioned in connection with beer brewing for the first time. No, you're not a you're not a beer connoisseur. No, you? I just drink. But you, do you know what hops are? Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, first you make time. Beer from. Sure. <laughs> it, beer can be hoppy or not hoppy. I don't like hoppy beer personally. You don't like bunny beer? <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then um, last thing from this this part of the century. Um, this marks the collapse of central lowland of the central lowland Maya civilization. From this point on, Chicken Itza becomes the regional capital for the post-classic Maya period. Okay. That's kind of what's going on in the world. Interesting. So before I get into the story of Olga of Kiev, I'm just going to give you a brief history lesson within this history lesson. I was like, didn't you just give us a history lesson? Do you have um The map? Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. So our story takes place in a medieval state. It's a very hard hour. <laughs> known as Kievan Rus. Um, medieval state, you can just think of it as a kingdom. This was an area that consisted of Eastern Slavic, Baltic, and Finnic people. And the area it comprised of was modern day Belarus, Ukraine, and Western portions of Russia. We'll put this map on Facebook. Literally, so you if you see. didn't say Russia, I would have been like, cool, I don't know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I need to relearn my geography. So Ukraine and... and um, well, then you do know Ukraine and Belarus are just to the west. Yeah. Okay. But like in relation we to Russia. Map. I'm also looking at a map. <laughs> You're not wrong. <sighs> so the tribes in the area consisted of Viking raiders and Norse settlers that had migrated from Scandinavia and settled in the Baltics. Yeah. Now the Vikings had been raiding in the Baltics and portions of France for a while now. The Vikings eventually run into several roadblocks in France, which prevented them from penetrating too deep into France, and so this is when they start raiding elsewhere. Not long after is when you start to get the upswing of Viking raiding in England. Alright. They're like, fuck this, I'm gonna go over here. Pretty much. They were like, this is too hard. <laughs> this is too difficult. They're We're going softer to over there. 
they're sorry guys they're they're these like um passive monks that we can just like take their treasure from their churches and they don't do anything they're super scared of their one god and we have multiple gods and we love them but back in rus and the slavic states you have several different tribes each controlling their own small areas None of the tribes up to this point prove more dominant over the others until we get Prince Rurik of Novigrad, who is recognized as the founder of the Rurik dynasty that will go on to rule Kievan Rus. Yes. After Rurik dies, I don't why is that word so hard to Rurik? say? Rurik? Because it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, keep this, but Ruru. like, I, I want you all to know that like, Rurik Let's is not easy to say. <laughs> Ruru. Ruru. Dies. No, please don't. I'm going to laugh every time. And his infant son, Igor, comes under the guardianship of Oleg Beshki. Beshki? Beshki. Beshki. I am not pronouncing Russian can, words. Can you help? Where is it? <laughs> oh, that, God. It's right there. Move your hand. I don't know why I said move your hand. Ve- Veshtli. Veshki. Veshki. I'm going to say Veshki. Sure. Um, if you're Russian, I'm sorry. Apologies. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I can't even do my own language, so... Bear with I hope me. You didn't do your own language. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> sorry. Oleg had been Igor's guardian and regent because, again, Igor's father had died when he was too young to rule himself. So Igor was essentially an infant at the time of Ruru's death. Ruru. R.I.P. <laughs> now, while Oleg rules Kievan Rus during Igor's minority, he begins to turn his attention to the neighboring Slavic tribes and gradually begins to absorb their territory into Kievan Rus. This is mine. This is mine. You guys thought <laughs> I just like yours. <laughs> Pretty much. And oh, he, he targets them specifically because he wants their trade routes. Well, that makes sense. This led to massive expansionism and naturally increasing tension between between Kievan Rus and the neighboring tribes that managed to retain autonomy. Are you telling me that when someone is like this mine and it's not really theirs, it's going to cause tension? Yeah. Okay. That's what happens. Okay. <laughs> In every episode we've ever had. <laughs> um, this growth also places Kievan Rus directly in conflict with the Byzantine Empire to the south. And you can look at your yeah. map to see where they are. It's literally south. Yeah. <laughs> You say it technically, I say right underneath them. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Now, conflict with the Byzantine or Byzantine, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) empire is problematic because the Rus tribes traded often with the capital city, which was Constantinople. So that trading relationship directly impacted the wealth of Kievan Rus. A lot of that wealth also comes from those neighboring tribes that Oleg had come up against. Tribes that managed to maintain their own autonomy often did so by having to pay Kievan Rus tributes. Do you remember in Barbarians when mm-hmm. the Romans come to the tribes? Mm-hmm. We have to pay it, yeah. That's what the ridiculous, like, we're going to take all of your food and you're going to have Everything. like a crumb left. Yes. So they would take coin, furs, livestock, and sometimes slaves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was how Oleg was able to consolidate power. The neighboring tribes either paid tribute or they would be forced to submit through violence. So it's basically pay us or be conquered. That sounds great. <laughs> That's essentially the political state we are at when our story begins. Okay. Um, one last thing. Our primary source for this episode is the Primary Chronicle, which was an old East Slavic chronicle traditionally credited to a monk named Nestor. Nestor. Mm-hmm. Nestor the monk. Nestor. Mm-hmm. So it tells the story of the first princes of Kiev and the origins of Kievan Rus. 
Uh, so Prince, you have to think of Prince as just like a chieftain of a tribe. Yeah. But the Rus called their chieftains princes. Okay. Uh, so the Primary Chronicle is very similar to the Historia Augusta, and it's basically the 12th century's version of the Tudors. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's largely regarded as another dubious and exaggerated historical text. Cool. So take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt. Like a little bag of salt, actually. Well, we're going to say it's true because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Olga has been known by several names. Olga is the name most people are familiar with, but her name in Old Norse was Helga. Her Christian name was Elena or Helena. And, uh, but for the sake of consistency, we're going to stick with Olga. And Olga was born sometime between the years 890 and 925. That's a big somewhere between. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So- Why did you say we didn't know when the fuck she was born? Like... So we know Sorry. probably early 900s. Uh, the thing with the primary chronicle and other texts from this period is they, so it was written a couple centuries later. Mm-hmm. They don't, their dates don't match up. So I wonder if like. Their dates just do not match up mm-hmm. in anything. Well, I, I wonder if the reason we don't have a lot of birthdays and stuff is not necessarily because we don't give a shit about women, but because there wasn't such a strong emphasis on birthdays that there is nowadays. You have to also think this is, we're kind of in the dark ages. Yeah. So like There's, no one's really tracking yeah. anything. I mean, it's not like I, the dark I can ages. look on your Facebook page and see your birthday and know your birthday. The dark ages were basically the fall of the Roman empire. So like three to four hundreds. And we're kind of just now getting to the point in history where they're starting to record stuff again. Yeah. Pre-medieval, but like, end of dark ages <laughs> yeah that's why they're called the dark ages because there's no texts from the time period <laughs> that is dark i don't like it <laughs> no books fuck it <laughs> so we know almost next to nothing about her childhood or upbringing other than the fact that she was born in the city of pluskov which is in northern russia Historians also debate her social status with some claiming she was the daughter of a commoner and others suggesting she was the daughter of a prince um, and then some sources actually claim that she was the daughter of Oleg. Oh. Yeah. So. Is that going to get weird, weirdly ancestral later on or no? Um, if she's the related to him? Well, okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Olga. You'll answer that later. <laughs> ends up getting married to Prince Igor, the first oh. of kids. So Oleg was Igor's guardian. Yeah. So not really. So, okay, so you have to think of it this way. If she was indeed Oleg's daughter, then Oleg would likely have deliberately married her to Igor, knowing this would solidify her position in yeah. the new dynasty that was being formed. Um, I see it. So, not confirmed by any sources, but it's my personal. It's highly likely. It's like the most likely scenario. Yes. Yeah. That's well, I, I wouldn't say most likely. I'm just choosing. To oh, go okay. She's it. choosing her own adventure. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Also, I should say that when I picture Olga of Kiev in the story, I picture Catherine Winnick from Vikings. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, my love. Last thing, <laughs> she was married to Igor at the age of 15. Um, made it weird. <laughs> I just wanted to See, put that I in can't there. picture her as anyone but Blagger, though, so I have to find someone else. <gasps> I think of, keep reading and I'll show you. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so little is written about the marriage other than the typical tribute that is often paid a young prince and princess. Igor was said to be a wise and powerful military leader, while Olga was praised for her beauty. 
It was also written that everyone in Kiev celebrated the couple's love. They were just incredibly popular. That's cool. Now, once Oleg dies, Igor officially takes over Kievan Rus and attempts to carry on in much the same way Oleg had before him. Trouble comes in the form of the neighboring Drevlian tribe. It's like, oh, there's a pause. <laughs> there's a weird name coming up. I have up. to get used to that name because I'm about to use it a lot. Um, so the Drevlians and Kevin Roos had a very complicated relationship. The Drevlians had previously accompanied Kevin Roos on their military campaigns against the Byzantine Empire, but it was not a strong alliance by any means because they were still subject to the tributes that Kevin Roos imposed on them. Naturally. By the time Igor comes to power, it appears that they had stopped paying their tributes for a while. And Igor obviously could not have this. How dare you stop paying your entire life over to someone else? <laughs> <laughs> so he puts together a small army and travels to the Drevlian capital city of Iskorsten, which is in Ukraine. And after some negotiations, the Drevlians give in and they give their tribute. Now, had Igor left things there and returned to Olga and their young son, things might have gone differently. But Igor was a little incensed by the fact that the Drevlians had skipped on several tribute payments. This tribute simply wasn't good enough, and he felt like they had more to make up for. That's literally the start of barbarians. (laughs) So he ends up going back to the city with a smaller escort to demand more of the Drevlian tribe. With Um, a smaller escort? Yes. You're going back to ask them for more with a smaller escort? Okay. Clearly got some brain cells happening. Um, well, them together. Yeah, this this ends up being a huge mistake because uh, the Drevlians are waiting for him. Oh my god, duh. And Igor is captured in the year 945. The Drevlian prince told his people the following of Igor. If a wolf comes among the sheep, he will take away the whole flock one by one unless he be killed. If we do not thus kill him, he will destroy us all. He's not and according to the primary chronicle, he was then, uh, he being Igor, you have a picture. Oh no. <laughs> he was tied to two tree trunks oh, no. and torn in two. Oh no. So a Byzantine chronicler wrote. Oh, that's terrible. Two birch trees were tied to Igor's legs and then they just let the trees straighten naturally, which. No, those are aggressive trees. <laughs> very no. aggressive trees. <laughs> Very aggressive trees, yes. Oh no, that's like a horrible way to die. Yeah. On that note, that's what that picture is, Olga, and her name happens to be Olga Kurilenko. Oh, interesting. Kurilenko? Yeah, no, I still picture. You're gonna, I think you're gonna change your mind. You're gonna find out. Okay, so. (laughs) I just, no one else, Catherine Winnick (laughs) is Lagertha. This is. That is that. This story is very Lagertha. Okay. Okay, so. When Olga heard the news of her husband's brutal murder, she was devastated. With the death of Igor, his three-year-old son, Sviatoslav, becomes the new king of Kievan Rus, and Olga thus becomes the regent for her son. Now, this was incredibly rare for the time, as women generally did not rule. Even rarer was the fact that Olga appeared to have the full support of the the army and her people for the regency. This suggested that the Rus people took the idea of succession very seriously, and they trusted Olga to ensure that it would go down smoothly. So Olga is thus recognized by historians as the first female monarch of Russia ever. Hell yeah. Yeah. Get it, girl. She's like, thanks. Now, the Drevlians were emboldened by the murder of Igor, and they knew Olga and her young son were vulnerable. She was a widow now, which meant she was ripe 
for marrying again. But the key here isn't actually Olga, it's Sviatoslav, because whoever Olga marries will likely become regent in her place and thus be in a position to groom Sviatoslav to their life. why would you marry anyone? <laughs> I know you kind of have to, but you know. Do you go? Oh, shit. The idea is Olga's like, no, no, I do not. <laughs> the Drevlians would be able to influence Sviatoslav to adopt policies more beneficial to them. No, you literally just ripped the, his father in half. I don't think he's friends with you. I think he's, he just defriended you on Facebook. He's three. That's fine. He doesn't have a Facebook. He's three. <laughs> <laughs> it's also 900 something. So it's likely that the Drevlians suspected that Olga was like any other young noblewoman of the time that would have been demure and docile. They had no idea what they were getting. They like walking and she's like, Middle fingers in the air. <laughs> Fuck all of you. So Olga had no intention of ever remarrying, and it was rumored within Kiev that anyone who dared even hint at a proposal was executed on the spot. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, She's like, what'd you say to me? Did you say marriage? And they're like, no, I said porridge. <laughs> the Dremlians were likely unaware of the reputation Olga had been gaining, or perhaps they were simply too tempted by the prospect of taking advantage of a grieving widow to notice. <laughs> She's like, they've angry then. <laughs> So the Drevlians end up sending 20 negotiators in a boat to 20? the city of Kiev. That yes. seems excessive. If 20 people came up to like negotiate with me, I'd be like, all of you fuck off. Most delegations include a decent amount of people. That's disgusting. <laughs> okay. And then there's one negotiator at a delegation. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> Olga receives them in court and they deliver a curious message from their prince. They claim that her husband was greedy and aggressive, but that their quarrel was with him only and that they knew Olga to be the opposite of him. She was wise and fair, and they did not wish to fight her, but instead would prefer to have her on their side. So they were essentially proposing an alliance. What better way to cement an alliance than with a marriage? Than with murder. And so (laughs) the Drevlians offered up their own Prince Mal. Prince Mal? Mm -hmm. The dude who killed Igor. What the fuck? Did you think that would go down? People? This is apparently a thing they did. If if you happened to kill the chief of a um, rival tribe, you could go to the... I feel like Olga's just sitting there like, are you fucking like chief lady, I guess? Really? Like, <laughs> this is your plan, guys? Like, you came to negotiate? Because this seems like you're doing a really bad job. <laughs> well, here's what Olga does. When Olga receives these delegates at court, she responds with the following... Your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead, but I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow, and you shall say, we will not ride on horses nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat, and you shall be carried in your boat. Uh-oh. Now the Drevlians leave, more than likely very pleased with themselves, and retire for the night in their camp outside the city. I feel like that wording was very particular. They probably drank some ale, ate some food, found some women to spend the night with. Died on the boat. Get some rest, etc., etc. Died on the boat. (laughs) But Olga doesn't rest. (laughs) She is busy for the duration of the night and has a huge trench dug along the castle walls. So the next day, the Drevlian dignitaries show up outside her stronghold to receive the honors that had been promised to them, and they say the words that she told them to say. We will not ride on horses nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat. And so, the people of Kiev responded by doing just that. They lift the boat above their shoulders, 
carrying them much as you would a palaquin with a king or a queen all through the city. Then they deliver them to Olga. Now, once they get to the castle, the boat is dropped in the large trench that had been dug the night before, and the people of Kiev proceed to bury the Drevlian ambassadors alive. Oh, fuck yes. And as the dirt is poured on top of them, Olga walks up to the edge of the trench and bends down to peer over them, and she asks whether they found the honor to their taste. Oh my god, I love her so much. And then they died. That's beautiful. No, they took a while to die, but (laughs) they got buried. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) Now, Olga does not send a message back to the Drevlian prince that she had killed his ambassadors. She does the opposite. She ends up sending a message that is a little cryptic, but meant to suggest that she has received the marriage proposal and has accepted it. In the letter, she requests that the Drevlians send their most distinguished men to her in Kiev so that they may escort her to Prince Mao. Oh, no. An alliance between the Drevlians and the princess of Kiev and Rus was a big deal after all, and Olga couldn't just travel around the countryside with a few basic men. She required a grand procession. (laughs) Of dead people? (laughs) Now, the Drevlians end up sending their so-called best men to her, and when they arrive, Olga once again appears as the gracious host. Rather than send them away this time for the night, she invites them to take a load off from traveling. Have a meal, take a bath, the road is dusty after all, and no doubt their feet are sore. You never trust that shit. That's too nice. She'll treat with them in the morning after they've had a chance to rest and take a bath. Enjoy your last bath, assholes. (laughs) Upon entering the bathhouse. No. The Drevlians were likely greeted with, you know, the steam and the plushy towels and an inviting looking bath. And then, bam, the door shut on them. But not before Olga had her men start a fire in the bathhouse. Son of a bitch! And all of them end up burning to death. No one jumped into the water? Not a one? Doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, you can't hold your breath forever, but... You think think of the smoke, too. Oh, yeah, the smoke is what kills you. Yeah. Yeah. They can't get out. So they all die. And, uh... By taking out this group of the Drevlian ambassadors, Olga has essentially has essentially wiped out the majority of the Drevlian nobility. Yeah, that's why you never send all your nobility to one place. But she's not content to stop there. I'm here for it. <laughs> so she ends up writing another letter to the Drevlian court. <laughs> I guess she's like, fuck you! <laughs> what remained of it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> she informs them that she intends to wed the prince, but before she can do so, she'd like to properly mourn her dead husband in the city that had taken his life. Did no one question the missing delegates? No. Cool. She tells them that they are to arrange a funeral feast in her dead husband's honor. This is what she writes in her letter. Prepare great quantities of meat in the city where you killed my husband, that I may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him. Now, for whatever reason, the Drevlians didn't seem to find this suspicious at all. Nor- because they're so greedy to have that alliance and to yeah. have like power over her that they don't see what's yeah, right they, in front of them. They don't question the fact that two delegations have been sent and are missing. I think they're just like, oh, well, we'll return with Olga. Yeah, yeah, they're they're sleeping in the bathhouse that's on fire or <laughs> under the ground. Yeah, yeah, they're breathing <laughs> worms. Now, we're told that Olga and a small group of attendants do end up visiting Igor's tomb, where she is said to have conducted a funeral procession and wept over his grave. She's like, babe, I'm seeking it for you. (laughs) Um, And basically, the Drevlians had honored her requests, and they set up a military camp around the tomb where Igor had died. 
So as Olga wept, the Drevlian soldiers got drunk. They got very, very drunk, which is exactly what she wanted. Yeah! <laughs> and as the camp drank and their inhibitions loosened, Olga commanded her retinue to ride about the camp and kill everyone. And we're told that she rode along with them, oh, egging them on. Oh my god, she's like, get them, get them. <laughs> when all is said and done, 5,000 Drevlian soldiers are oh, killed. Shit. That's unfortunate. We're not done. No, we're not. <laughs> so despite the massacre, Olga is still not done. Her thirst for vengeance refused to be satiated until every last Drevlian was gone. I mean, I get it. <laughs> so, Your husband died in a really shitty way yeah. for a really shitty reason. You were very smart to be like, hey, we're going to marry you to your husband's killer. Yeah, like, who in the fuck? Who yeah. in the fuck is like, totally, let's do it. <laughs> so despite the massacre, I already did that part. This time when Olga returned to Kiev, she did not just gather a small retinue for her escort. She rallied Kiev to form an army. She's like, here's my army, bitches. <laughs> As Olga led her army into Drevlian territory, they encountered a number of skirmishes, all of which ended in Olga's favor. Whatever survivors remained of the Drevlian army were sent running back to their cities to herald the doom coming for them. They were like, please stop sending delegates. Please stop sending delegates. <laughs> it was only when Olga's army found itself outside the capital city of Iskorsten that they finally met considerable resistance. It seemed the Drevlians finally understood what they were up against now because they bunkered down in the city and prepared for a siege. Olga's army ended up sieging Is Iskorsten for about a year with little progress. Holy crap, that is a long time. This is why I could yes. never be in charge of our army because it'd be like after a day, I'm like, it's a long time. Up and going this home. is in like the outskirts of Russia. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I can't imagine that was very fun at all. No, not at all. When it became clear that the city would not surrender anytime soon and her own forces were ill-equipped to take the city themselves, Olga decided it was time to come up with a new plan. She's still going for the Amlerio thing? So she ends up sending a letter Stop. to the city. <laughs> she, oh, okay. She's not proposing marriage this time. She says, Why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. The you had rather tire of hunger without submitting to tribute. So the people in the city had no way of verifying the contents of the letter, whether or not they were true. Um, and as it would happen, the citizens of this Skorsten were understandably terrified of Olga. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were afraid that even if they did surrender to her, she would still kill them all. What was to stop her from massacring the city once it opened its gates, as her retinue had previously done during her husband's funeral procession? This is what they write back to her. So she replied that she was tired of vengeance, finally. The deaths of the messengers sent to Kiev and the events of the funeral feast had satiated her. She was done with vengeance. Except for now. <laughs> Olga had but one request for the citizens of Iskorsten. Oh, no. Simply put, she required a tribute. It was a simple tribute, one the Drevlian should have had, should have little trouble fulfilling. Put Mel's head on his back and give it to me. Olga <laughs> asks that each house within the city give her three pigeons and three sparrows. What? Yep, that's it. They're not just sitting around with pigeons and sparrows. Yeah, they are. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's weird. That's how you communicate with cities. Yeah, but According like everyone has a pigeon and a sparrow? Not everyone, but the major noble families have their own roosts within the city. 
pigeons are like, must we go with crazy lady? <laughs> <laughs> so the Drevlians were incredibly relieved. That tribute really wasn't that bad, and it was a small price to pay for ending a siege that had already lasted a year. So Olga's men collect all the pigeons and the sparrows. <laughs> the men are just like, what is happening? <laughs> and she instructs her army to attach a piece of sulfur bound with cloth to each of the birds. No! At nightfall. No! She had her men set the pieces of cloth Olga! And release the birds into the city. Oh my god! I liked you for five minutes, Olga. Can you imagine? Nope. I'm mad now. Just seeing... No, I'm mad now. Pigeons and sparrows were sacrificed for no reason. (laughs) Burning pigeons and sparrows coming to a city made of wood... I would and literally, hey, no, I would literally just be like, no, nah, she's dead. I would kill her. Oh, I'm sorry, Olga. We're not friends anymore. And so the pigeons and sparrows all return to their various roosts and nests around the city. And almost immediately, the entire town was set aflame. I mean, that is pretty fucking smart, though. Like, I hate that she hurt the pigeons and the sparrows. I knew you would. I hate it. I'm not here for it. But it's really freaking smart. <laughs> so this is what the Primary Chronicle had to say of these events. When night fell, Olga bade her soldiers release the pigeons and the sparrows. So the birds flew to their nests, the pigeons to the coats, and the sparrows under the eaves. The dovecoats, the coops, the porches, and the haymows were all set on fire. There was not a house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish the flames, because all the houses caught on fire at once. The people fled from the city, and Olga ordered her soldiers to catch them. Thus, she took the city and burned it and captured the elders of the city. Oh, so your city still got burned down anyway. Sorry, guys. Of the people that were caught fleeing the burning city, some had been killed on the spot, while others were captured and given as slaves to Olga's followers. The few people remaining in Iskorsten, when all was said and done at the end, were basically left there so they could pay tribute going forward. Ouch. And with the fall of Iskorsten, Olga's vengeance over the Drevlian tribe was complete. Olga literally stood outside that screen and was like, mic drop, bitches. Don't kill my husband again. Yes. Ever. <laughs> and don't try to use my son. Yeah. Or me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... I mean, I'm kind of here for it. Like, again, the pigeons and the I sparrows. Know, I know. But I'm here so for it. <laughs> yeah, she... Oh, man. Uh completely destroyed that entire tribe wow that like in like really smart ways too like, yeah very clever yeah very very clever i love it now following the massacre of the drevlian tribe olga returned to kiev to rule until her son came of age we're told that olga continued in true form and refused to remarry throughout the duration of her regency Olga ended up becoming a very powerful female medieval monarch and indeed one of the most powerful monarchs of her time in general She ends up reforming the tribute system so that instead of relying on tributes to be delivered by local chieftains, she appoints her own officials to collect the tributes directly. She also sets to work establishing various boundary posts around the kingdom to help secure its borders and create various trading posts to help facilitate the growth of Kievan Rus' mercantile industry. These trading posts help create a new sense of ethnic and cultural solidarity among the Rus' people, and the border posts she had constructed helped to shape the boundaries of the Kievan Rus kingdom. Under her rule, Kievan Rus thrives as new towns sprout across the growing kingdom and a series of hunting grounds are established for sport. And when her son Sviatoslav eventually comes of age to rule himself, he will continue to leave the rule of his country in Olga's capable hands whenever he leaves on military campaigns. Nice. He's like, 
you done did great, Mom. <laughs> you may yeah. have the town or town, the city, state, whatever it's called, until I'm done. The kingdom. At yeah, this yeah. Point. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, so Sviatoslav um, ends up gaining quite a bit of notoriety for himself on military campaigns. Is that an Icelandic name or is that a Russian name? It sounds like Icelandic. Um, he is recognized as the last Viking king of Rus, so it is more than likely Scandinavian, yeah. Icelandic, whatever. Sorry, you're not nope. the same, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, mm. But basically, you can kind of think of, think of him as like Richard the Lionheart when he left Eleanor of Aquitaine in control of England. That's what Olga was in this area. All right. All right. I love it. So sometime in the 950s, we hear of Olga traveling to Constantinople in the Byzantine Empire to visit Emperor Constantine VII. Before Olga's husband died, he had attempted to siege Constantinople twice, and the kingdom of Kievan Rus had a history of fighting with the Byzantine Empire, so it may well have been a diplomatic trip at the start. (laughs) To begin with, foreshadowing. (laughs) When Constantine received Olga at his court, he was immediately taken by her beauty. Wait, Constantine was the ruler of Constantinople? (laughs) I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that name was chosen deliberately. Probably. It's like uh, Britannica or Brit- what, it, what was his name? Germanicus. Uh, <laughs> Germanicus, and there was also Britannicus. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let's just rename ourselves after the cities we've conquered. It works. So the primary chronicle noted that he saw she was very fair of countenance and wise as well, but the emperor wondered at her intellect. Oh, fuck off. You were about to die because of her intellect, bitch. <laughs> and so... This is when we get another story of Olga's cleverness and wit. Yes. So Emperor Constantine... Wait, does it involve pigeons? Because I'm going to need a trigger warning. <laughs> there are no pigeons in this story. Okay, no pigeons were harmed in this bit of the story. That's great. <laughs> I don't even like pigeons, but I just don't like that, how they ended. <laughs> you don't like any animals being hurt yeah. for any reason. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> People, on the other hand. Just kidding. <laughs> For legal reasons. For legal reasons, I'm kidding, obviously. But go ahead with the. uh, (laughs) So, Emperor Constantine was said to be so enamored and impressed with Olga that he suggested she would make a worthy partner to rule alongside him in Constantinople. Careful, bro, womenly wiles. (laughs) So, Olga responded that such a thing was not possible. She was a pagan, after all. A pagan would never be allowed to reign in a Christian country. Turning down a marriage proposal from the Byzantine emperor was no small task. And so Olga demurred that if she were to marry him, she would first have to be baptized as a Christian. Sorry, the gremlin's really mad because I'm forcing her to be out here. (laughs) Well, she's also like, don't do it. Don't do it! (laughs) The gremlin is Gemma, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I don't think she's ever been out here. Yeah, she's never been on the bus. She usually hides in my room. And the only person she would consent to performing this baptism was the emperor himself. What? (laughs) And so not long after, this is exactly what happens. Emperor Constantine ends up baptizing Olga of Kiev with the aid of the patriarch. Um, So the patriarch was the head of the Byzantine church and he was the bishop of Constantinople. Gotcha. After Olga is baptized, the patriarch said the following, Blessed art thou among the women of Rus, for thou hast loved the light and quit the darkness. The sons of Rus shall bless thee to the last generation of thy descendants. Following the baptism, Constantine summoned Olga once more before him and asked her to be his wife. And to this, Olga replied the following. 
how can you marry me after yourself baptizing me and calling me your daughter? For among Christians, that is unlawful, as you yourself must know. You guys need to see my face right now. <laughs> this woman, I love her. <laughs> so during her baptism, Emperor... Oh, here's that. <laughs> <laughs> so during her baptism, Emperor Constantine had essentially served as a sort of sponsor for Olga's soul, which would have been the equivalent of naming himself as her godfather. <laughs> To marry him at this point would have been a form of spiritual incest. Oh my god, that's so amazing! <laughs> Olga essentially outwits Emperor Constantine and evades his marriage proposal. And Constantine is rather impressed, and he says to her, Olga, you have outwitted me. Oh, he admitted it? Okay, okay. <laughs> yep. I like him, I give him that respect because he, he, uh, yeah. He recognized He recognized that he just got his ass <laughs> handed to him. Now, she evidently left quite the impression because he still ends up sending her off with gifts of gold, silk, silver, and even calls her his daughter before they part. It's getting weird now. <laughs> so, so here's my personal take on the whole thing. The local tribes of Rus had been at war with the Byzantine Empire for some time now. Constantine might very well have been motivated by the same motivation of the Drevlian tribe. To marry Olga would have given the Byzantine emperor some form of control over the Kievan Rus kingdom. Olga could not meet this marriage proposal with the violence she dished out to the Drevlians. She had no stake in vengeance, this time involving a dead husband, and the Byzantine empire was far more powerful than the Drevlian tribe, so she could not risk insulting the emperor. By converting, Olga cleverly aligned herself with the Byzantine empire while still maintaining political independence in the end. Yes, I love it. That was like the perfect chess move. That, yeah, story. that's like really smart. <laughs> like she had to have, I mean, had like a like an inclination of how you know the baptism works and how. Oh yeah. Well, we're gonna get into that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Gemma's gonna knock the microphone over before we do, so that's gonna be fun. Oh, she's gonna go this way. Hi, I don't want you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Now, following her baptism, Olga was christened with the Christian name of Helena, and you'll often see her with the name of Helen, Helena in the Byzantine sources. It's been suggested that she was named for Empress Helena, who had been the mother of Constantine the Great. I believe this is the Constantine that converted the Roman Empire to Christianity. Oh, I was like, it's not the Constantine who's down at her weird father? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just as likely that she was named after the current Constantine's ah. wife. Oh, what? <laughs> who also happened to be named Helena. Did I not mention the fact that he was already married? I'm confused now. Yeah, you didn't mention yeah, that. he was already married. I'm like digging cat hair out of my eye. I'm really sorry. <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. you, that's like important, Rachel. Well, I deliberately. Oh, okay. okay yeah. Okay, yeah. So again, that's, me up for that's, that's where like Byzantine sources and the primary chronicle, they, they don't, their dates don't match up. So we, we get different stories from different people and different versions of events. Okay. okay. What are dates in history, Rachel? I mean, honestly. <laughs> we are told that she studied with the Patriarch of Constantinople to learn the Christian faith, and she was taught about prayer, fasting, almsgiving, along with the importance of maintaining her chastity. There's also some debate among both Russian and Byzantine scholars as to the date of Olga's official conversion from paganism to Christianity. Byzantine sources claim that she was already baptized back in Kiev, 
prior to her visit to Constantinople, and that the baptism and proposal story were exaggerated for the sake of literary sensationalism. Of course, she was already baptized, but her plan needed her to get baptized again, and they baptized people like five times anyway. So. Well, yeah, so that is um, the other theory. Is basically, she was baptized back in Kiev around 955, and then received a second christening in Constantinople a little later. And there are political motivations oh, for this. very upset by that. Yes. Treachery. <laughs> what we do know with absolute certainty was that following Olga's conversion, she attempted to bring Christianity back with her to Rus. I know, Anya, I feel the same way. Anya's <laughs> getting upset. This involved destroying several pagan artifacts around the country. Um, we're not entirely sure why she did this, because before her trip to Constantinople, she seemed relatively tolerant towards pagans. Interesting. She was a pagan. I mean, maybe yeah, possibly. again, we don't, we know a change happened. We just don't really know why or when. Um, because again, dates. <laughs> Olga also attempted to convert her son to Christianity, but Sviatoslav would have nothing of it. Yeah, no. Not only was he staunchly pagan, but he was also concerned that if he did convert the country to Christianity, he would lose the Kievan Rus military that had previously been so instrumental in helping them retain power. Yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, though, even though he refused to convert himself, Sviatoslav did promise that anyone else within his kingdom was free to convert without fear of persecution. Gee, people, that is how you fucking do it. Um, the people that did convert, though, they were mocked relentlessly. Kind of ostracized in a way. Well, because, again, these are Vikings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they view yeah. the Christians as being incredibly soft. Well, yeah, because they they like bow boys. down to their gods instead of empowering their gods and yeah holding their gods up as it were <laughs> but at least they weren't killed and the primary yeah. chronicle cites olga's intervention with her son for this fact this was a pivotal moment for rus and its neighbors as it was the first time a competing religion was allowed to exist legally in the area during the last years of her life olga would continue to spread christianity throughout rus she continued to work with the Byzantine emperors to try and establish a Christian foothold in Rus, writing to the emperor to send bishops and priests to help secure the word of God. But her efforts were constantly thwarted, either by duplicitous envoys or the intervention of her son and his allies. Several sources suggest that the Holy Roman Emperor Odo sent a couple of bishops to Kiev and Rus as well, only to be kicked out by Sviatoslav's allies. <laughs> There are even stories that a frustrated Olga turned to the Christians in the West. Um, so again, this would have been the Holy Roman Emperor and the Pope in Rome when the Byzantine bishops failed. This was apparently deliberately done to help introduce competition for the Byzantine Christians to help motivate them to try harder in Rus. <laughs> yeah. I forgot we were on a podcast and no one can see my face, but <laughs> Now, Olga's life was eventful right up to her death. In the final year of her life, she fell ill, but not before holding off a siege of Kiev from a Pechenegh tribe, which was a Turkish tribe that was directly south of Kievan Rus. Olga would have been anywhere from 60 to 80 years Hell old at this yes. point. <laughs> She's like, well, me and my walker, but as soon as I do, you guys are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> We're told that her son, Sviatoslav, had been intending to move the capital of Kievan Rus to the Danube region, and Olga pleaded with him in a most pitiful state to stay in Kiev with her. Afterwards, he could do as he pleased as she would finally be gone. Aww. 
Despite leading an eventful and colorful life, Olga's death ends up being a little anticlimactic. And on July 11th, 969, the resilient and terrifyingly clever Olga of Kiev finally died from her illness. The entire city of Kiev wept and mourned the death of their beloved and stubborn matriarch. Olga had requested that she be granted a Christian funeral rather than be burned on a pyre as was traditional for pagan burial rites, and her son obliged her in this request. Although Olga failed to convert Kievan Rus into a Christian nation while alive, her efforts were instrumental in planting the seed. After Sviatoslav dies, his three sons would end up fighting for control of Kievan Rus. When all is said and done, his son Vladimir ascends to the throne and officially adopts Christianity as the official faith of Kievan Rus. This is the famed Vladimir the Great. Ah, like mm-hmm. Vlad the Impaler? Or no. different Vlad? <laughs> Damn it, I was so excited. I was like, Dracula's here, guys. <laughs> Vladimir the Great of Russia. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> Olga would go on to be canonized in 1547 by the Russian Orthodox Church and named a saint. She is venerated for having introduced Christianity to Russia and thus receives considerable attention in the primary chronicle for her part in the conversion. Olga was the first from Rus to enter the kingdom of God, and the sons of Rus thus praise her as their leader, for since her death, she has interceded with God on their behalf. According to the primary chronicle. (laughs) With that being said, Olga is by far one of the most colorful saints you will ever learn about in either the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church. She was the sort of woman you did not want to underestimate, a rare jack-of-all-trades and master of all as well. Olga was as clever as she was ruthless, as intelligent as she was beautiful, and as stubborn as she was devoted. She was a powerful female monarch in a time when women were often relegated to the status of wall ornament, and anyone misfortunate enough to underestimate Olga of Kiev always, always ended up with the short end of the stick. Or in the case case of the Drevlian tribe, a blazing piece of cloth attached to the foot of the bird. Yes. You had to bring the birds back, didn't you? <laughs> I did. It's what she's known for. <laughs> I love it. I do love it. <clears throat> that that is Olga Kiev. That's fantastic. I would just like to point out that I was laughing or trying really hard not to laugh the whole time you're talking because Finn and Scale was in your way. I was trying so hard to. I was just I'm like, like trying to grab it and like it's not working. <laughs> I was like, don't fuck it up, don't, don't fuck, fuck it up. up. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of random facts about Olga and her family. Yes. So in addition to being canonized, Olga was given the epitaph equal to the apostles her feast day is july 11th which was the day of her death and she is the patron saint of widows and converts olga used the biden as her personal symbol um it basically look looks like a pitchfork and if you look at um like paintings of hades in the underworld it's what he uses as well oh how interesting there's a statue of olga of kiev called saint olga in kiev ukraine it shows her holding a cross to her breast while in Christian robes. Sadly, there are no sparrows included. I don't think that's sad, but... <laughs> um, to I, each his own. <laughs> I did give you a picture. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. I got Oh, nice. This one? Yes. That's beautiful. Gemma, look, it's beautiful. She goes, get that out of my face. Some <laughs> of her unofficial titles included Viking Saint Queen of Russia and the Scourge of the Drevlians. <laughs> Sorry. That's great. <laughs> Now, Olga's death may have been anticlimactic, but her son and her grandsons were not so lucky. Sviatoslav is betrayed by the Byzantine emperor after negotiating a peace treaty. The Byzantine emperor ends up colluding with 
a Pechenegg Khan to ambush Sviatoslav, and in the primary chronicle, it tells us that this Khan ends up using Sviatoslav's skull as a drinking cup. Um, mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> His three sons then go to war with one another. The eldest son, Yaropolk, is killed by his brother Oleg. Vladimir had fled to Sweden and later to Norway while his brothers were duking it out. <laughs> He's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> Once Yaropolk emerges as the victor, Vladimir gathers a bunch of Norse warriors yes. to his cause and retakes Rus from his brother and then slays him via treacherous means. Um, um... <laughs> so he basically <laughs> promised his brother safe conduct and then has his brother ambushed and killed. Is it? I don't think so, but it's fine. <laughs> um, at one point, the Holy Roman Emperor also accused Olga of lying to him when she requested that bishops and priests be sent to Kiev and Rus to help convert the people to Christianity because she was a duplicitous trickster. And while well, given her track record, that's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Wow. Olga of Kiev. Yes. Was she it. more difficult? Or was she more damsel? I need to stop asking this question because they're just <laughs> becoming more and more difficult. Like, they're like zero damsel. There was no there damsel. There was no damsel she... here. <laughs> like, this question, like, we need to, like, evolutionize this question. She evolutionized? That's... Burned the city to the ground. Yeah, it makes me happy. But... <laughs> yeah. With pigeons. <laughs> With pigeons. You have scare. to not leave that out. Like, that is the, yes. the crux of the whole thing. <laughs> amazing yeah i like it mm-hmm. all right all right i would just like you to know that all the cats are converging over you here. are the cat queen right now the listener cannot see it but she's got a gem in her lap yeah the beautiful sleek panther finnan is behind her he was on me a second ago he was trying to be a podcaster earlier yeah. too we got a picture of that yeah pretty cute and then izzy is behind me <laughs> Anya's in her little corner Anya is in her corner because she was screaming at everyone earlier and then Jasmine is on her way over she takes a minute <laughs> she's getting water oh well this is a perfect transition for our question yes <gasps> alright so our random question was inspired by a TikTok yes <laughs> um, what would your hero to villain story arc look like mine <laughs> would basically what did you say was catwoman yeah would basically catwoman like like john wick but with cats <laughs> yes like i'm like I, like the quiet in high school i was like definitely the quiet like demure like don't talk to me and if i stay hidden long enough you won't you'll, you'll walk away and like slowly throughout high school humans happened and slowly throughout college human humans happened and i have like yeah. zero patience but then like I'm still pretty easygoing. I mean, I'm quick to anger, but I get over it real quick. But you hurt my babies. So, so in this die. origin story, you die are trees. we're playing the prologue of the game of cat turning into a villain. What do you look like? Like, are you just like a Miller's daughter that loves cats, or I don't know. are you an adventurer? You leaving the city? to experience the world for the I first like time. I'd be the kid who like goes into the creepy forest that no one else goes into. Ooh, and that then me. Yeah. like you get attacked that's and cats save you or? Yeah, well, that's where all my cats come from. <laughs> okay. What no one knows is that all the cats are my familiars now. <laughs> <laughs> they were all sent to me from the Fey world. <laughs> that's terrifying actually. 
and you oh. come back and you just oh some, does like somebody kill somebody, one of your cats like something happens to one of my cats like and someone then you kills john them wick. and then i john wick the fuck out of them <laughs> and their whole organization <laughs> you send cats with detachable fire cloths and i was like detachable cities. needs to be followed up with something real quick <laughs> <laughs> with um sending them into town and burning the whole yeah. thing and then the cats run away yeah yeah <laughs> Cats come in, they're carrying like cute little mouse, mouse toys, and they're like, oh, cute. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> and they blow up. Like a flamethrower that you spit at people. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> with my little cat toy. All oh, right. Man. Well, mine. Hers is going to be much better than mine, obviously, guys. <laughs> so mine is inspired by my D&D character. Um, so her name is Ezolt. Yes, I did steal that from your cat. Yes. Well, technically it was still in the last kingdom, but yeah. Um, I <laughs> I'll don't, take it. She's not called Izzy though. She's called Ezolt. Um, so in my D&D campaign, she is a witch class. I didn't she... know we were like allowed to be like fantasy characters. Yes. It's fine. <laughs> I still like mine. So at the start um, of everything, she's just. Basically, she's a human that was part of a nomadic tribe that didn't really have a specific home. They just constantly traveled. And she was just, was, is, she's just super curious about the world. And her whole thing is knowledge. She wants knowledge. So when I first created her, it was with, it was a little one-off that my friends and I did um, when we were up at the cabin. And, um in the campaign they come up against a trickster time god Ooh. and they actually because they were so aggressive because easel's very much just like oh we're just gonna do the thing this like, is she happening doesn't, right, this she doesn't stop to think um they actually died and then the time god like clapped rewind his hands time. and yeah and rewound time oh my god jenna <laughs> and they they spend the entire campaign basically they realize they have to help him um the time god Yes, okay. because there's another halfling god there. And the whole thing, the time god, the gnome trickster, he just wants some pudding that the town, the town put up, puts on this annual festival and they have pudding. And they don't give him pudding? He's never been allowed the pudding because what the fuck? because the halfling god was like, no, you, you caused too much trouble. You're too bad. Give him pudding. It'll be distracting. <laughs> so so um, the group, they end up uh, helping him do good deeds around the town. Ah. And then he's able to get his pudding. I like it. And um, in the campaign, he was he went to Easel and he was like, "I like you. You're a kindred spirit. Would you like to pledge yourself to me? I don't oh, have any followers." No. Nope. She did. Oh. She was like, "Yeah, that sounds like mine." Yeah, actually. <laughs> so, her whole thing is the pursuit of knowledge. So the way I see that turning into a villain arc is eventually if. If you're just pursuing knowledge um, to the detriment of everyone else around you, including yeah. yourself, you're going to go to very dark places. Yeah. So I kind of see her. You're going to be the villain of someone's story, even if it's like a small side story. You're still going to yeah. be the villain in someone's Well, I, I see her just getting so deep into learning. Um, so because he's her patron now in the campaign I'm in, she's learning Um time spells uh oh yeah That's so dangerous. i i was like i would love to see her just get in way over her head one day and like accidentally be presented with the awful choice of like 
sacrificing a friend or one of your um, for, the, for their knowledge for knowledge yeah knowledge that you think will actually help people yeah. and then i see her soul slowly deteriorating yes yeah. and by the end of it all i kind of see her um assuming the mantle of the trickster and god so you herself. guys remember when i said that rachel <laughs> would be totally better than mine <laughs> Well, I have the benefit of actually having a D and D character. Yeah, you do. you do. It was so cool. I don't. I don't remember. I told you, but like the last campaign we did, um, one of oh, so she's a witch, so she has hexes. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and I didn't realize how powerful they were, but I don't have any limit to casting my hexes. I can cast the same one on like any amount of people. I just can't cast the same one on the same person. Oh, okay. Unless I take a feat for it, and then I can. <laughs> <laughs> so one of her hexes is sleep and it ignores like if you can do it to elite characters if oh. they don't save against it so she would literally walk into camp in like a cloak and go up to like the main person uh-huh. and look at them and be like you're extremely exhausted you should lay down for a nap and just like and then Honestly, the rest I of the team I'm like thanks for the permission <laughs> the rest of the team now. came in but it was so cool she was just this like silent sleeper person. I feel like in any in any story that I've ever written or in any story that I would ever be involved in I would always be that character who starts out like doing the right thing but mm-hmm. then I get burned enough times or like someone yeah. hurts someone I love or fucks with someone I love and like I'd be the villain that would burn the world down to save the one person because fuck the world I don't give a shit about the world I care about that the one was person. yeah that was the other thing mm-hmm. I was thinking if like she had the opportunity to turn back time to save a friend, but it would basically rip the fabric of Let's time. She would do it. Yeah. And that's her yeah. turning into a villain. Yeah. 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 That was a fun one. But the fun thing about being a villain, <laughs> if you're not a two dimensional villain is you're always a villain in one person's story, but a hero in another person's story. Well, a good villain is going to consider themselves the hero of their own story. Yeah. 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 All right, well, my sources for today's episode were Wikipedia, Thank you. <laughs> historyanswers.co.uk. Um, history Daddy out of not History Daddy this time. The <laughs> article's name was Olga of Kiev, one saint you do not want to mess with. Yes. Thefamouspeople.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, also had an article. And then todayifoundout.com had an article called The Saint Who Buried People Alive and Burned Down a City in revenge it's always so confusing because saints are supposed to be well maybe it's just in catholicism saints are supposed to have like done or committed no sins well that's how i was taught that like what saints were well conveniently um a lot of christian sources will just tell the story of her conversion yep and a lot of other sources only focused on her revenge plot will tell that and the thing I did read, I, I read a couple of Christian sources because I was curious. They say basically Olga was the perfect example of a bad person who saw the light of God. Oh and my then, fucking God. Sorry. And she is an example <laughs> of getting yourself yeah. on the right path. I threw up in my mouth so many times just through that whole sentence. I wasn't going to bring it up because I, <gasps> yeah, okay. so there you Sorry. go. <laughs> so... Um, two other podcasts I want to mention, A History of Europe podcast, episode 27.4, is the... Um, Point four. Yes. So they, they 
Sorry, you don't have to explain it. I'm just confused now. <laughs> um, so they, they go over famous battles in Europe. And yeah. a lot of times, like, a battle will require some context. Gotcha. So this episode was early Kievan Rus. For- Sorry. It was just early Kievan Rus. And it was basically, I used it to get a little bit of more history on Kievan yeah. Rus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, stuff you didn't learn in history class. Which is everything important. Yeah, that podcast. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Stuff you didn't learn in history class? No, I was just Things saying. you didn't learn in history class. It's, it's that. It's one of those. That podcast also has um, the episode on. We'll go to Kiev. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Yes. Um, as always, you can help our podcast by rate, rating. Just rate. God, just I can't talk. She's um, fine. <laughs> if you rate, review, or subscribe, um, on wherever you get your podcast. Even if you don't listen to us, just subscribe. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it actually does help if you yeah. subscribe. <laughs> um, you can also reach out to us if you have comments, comments. on yeah, the episode or suggestions. At we difficult. don't take concerns. That is not a C we take. <laughs> the email is difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also sometimes on Facebook and social media. <laughs> if Kat ever figures her shit out, um, it's just difficult. Damsels, the podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Because I refuse to get into anything else because I can't even handle those two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to get so tired of Facebook and Instagram for my job. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm already tired of it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, it, yeah, but that's that's us. Yeah. And then well, we hope you I enjoyed. might put this episode, like, on Facebook. It could happen. <laughs> I'm going to annoy you for it. I feel That's like fine. it's a good topic. But yeah, yeah, as always, stay difficult. Stay difficult. Woo.